I got those two cameras that I'm reviewing from UPS last night, uh, and yeah. I unboxed them, and they charge with micro USB. God damn it! No. Amazing. So dumb. I'm and not like they came with cables, which is good because mm. I don't even know. I don't know where a micro USB cable is right now off the top of my head. So. Hello. This is the Android Police Podcast for. Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. It's almost my birthday. Pretty pretty excited about that. 37, folks. I'm getting old. This week's show is just a hodgepodge of complaints. So <laughs> get your butt into a chair, get nice and settled, because we are about to just get gloomy. Uh, joining me this week is, as always, our Wagner. Um, my my complainer extraordinaire. How are you? I am good. I am a nitpicky bitch, and I have a lot to nitpick this week, so I'm happy. Yeah, I'm excited about your segment. And uh, Will Will Saddleberg, welcome back. You're driving all I, the way to your. I was going to make week. that exact joke. Happy almost oh, birthday, sorry. by the way, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. I I can't believe you're that close at age to me. I I didn't realize you were that young. Oh my God, I'm young. Thanks you. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled. What am I? I'm thrilled by that. What I turned 27 in August. <laughs> Oh, you're a baby. <laughs> I know, but I'm I'm the father of two children now. So when I think of myself as a certain age, I think of myself as coming to it late. Because you always compare yourself to the ages of other parents in your world, right? So I know a few people who had kids older, and I know a few people who had them much younger. And their kids are now like teenagers <laughs> when they had theirs at 22, 23. And... Uh, then I also know a couple parents, uh, friends of ours who had their kids in their early 40s and are like, their backs are worse than mine. So, <laughs> you know, it's nice to have some perspective. Uh, so, Ara, thank you very much. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having kids slightly later because you're more well off. You're in a better position to provide for them and have stability. I mean, my parents didn't have me and my twin until they were in their 30s, so... I think that's just normal, but it's also like, I didn't think about that until I had, especially the second kid, like the physical toll it has taken on me so far, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared for just how exhausted I would be all the time. Not just the sleep deprivation, but the having to wrangle two things is a very different situation than having one. Yeah. You yeah. can pair off when you have one kid and just be like, here, take the kid for a minute. I need to sleep. or I need to relax, but there's none of that when you have two. So anyway, and then I also know people who have like four kids and I'm like, how the hell did you do that? I mean, that it could have is... been worse. You could have had twins. <laughs> I say this Touché. as a twin. I apologize to my parents for all the shit I put them through. <laughs> yeah, but then you and your sister get to like share that load and be awful to your parents together uh... as a team. Or were you the troublemaker? I mean, I, I was usually the troublemaker. Yeah, that makes I was sense. the evil twin. I'm sorry. That makes sense. That <laughs> it should surprise sense. absolutely no one that I am an evil twin. <laughs> I'm actually like, yeah, that I would be shocked if you weren't. Just <laughs> given where you ended up, you're the contrary one. I am. But I, I don't know. I mean, that, that I think that makes you more interesting, personally. And uh, it makes you good at ranting. That's another thing you're Which very good, good at. Which is good for this week. Yes. So let's start off with your section, Ara, because there are a few things that you want to rant about. Yes, there are already. I'm going to start with something that's a little bit nicer, and then I'm going to go back to the thing that really, really pisses me off. We got Chrome OS 103, the embargo dropped basically while we were starting this. 
Mm-hmm. And Chrome 103 is giving me a couple of features that I have been ardently waiting for because Phone Hub, the way that you connect your Android phone and your Chromebook, I've been a big fan of that, but it's also been mostly pretty useless because it could only really do three things. It could locate your phone, it could tell you your battery status, enable a hotspot, and then you could see your most recent tabs in Chrome. And now you're going to be able to see your most recent photos and automatically copy them over and download them to your computer through Phone Hub, which is great because that means I don't have to go to Google Photos first and deal with the fact that it downsized it to the uh, formerly free compression. Uh, I actually should just use original size since I have the two terabyte Google Drive, but I can't help it. I can't turn off the, the little part of me that is like, no, no, the compression is fine for what it is and you'll be able to fit more photos. Forgetting the fact that I have less than a terabyte of storage used up already. The other thing that we're getting I'm a little less happy about because I've had it on the Acer Chromebook Spin 713 through the dev channel because it's the Chromebook that I have Steam for Chrome OS Alpha on is FastPair for wireless headphones because it has meant that every single time that I am using my Sony XM4 earbuds while that laptop is on, I will get a notification about like every 30 minutes being like, oh, hey, we see that a pair of earbuds that you own and have paired to another device are available. Do you want to pair them to the laptop as well? No, because I've learned if you pair earbuds to a laptop, the laptop is the only thing you should be using them with. And I use my earbuds with my phones. That's interesting because that feature is actually not coming. They say later in the summer, although it is part of this one of three announcement. So I assume well, it's, it's it's in the next couple of weeks, probably. I wonder if they're trying to like tweak that. I wonder if that's why it's not ready today and like stable. Possibly because I mean, it's been on dev for a while yeah. now and I think it's been on beta for a little bit as well. And it's an OK feature. If you're somebody who actually just has one pair of headphones that you use on every single device, more power to you, I guess, uh, then this is a great feature. And considering that FastPair is on so many more devices now than it used to be, it's a great idea. I just wish it was a little bit less in your face. Like, if I don't do it the first time, I want it to stop asking me. And it'll ask you every single time. The key is to just buy a pair of headphones for every gadget you own, which is what I've ended up doing. (laughs) Not even on purpose. That's just kind of where I am in my life now. I think the key here is, like, you have to understand your priorities like i don't buy headphones unless they support multi-point sure like google is building an ecosystem where multi-point is a software feature right like it'll be able to detect which device you want to use your headphones on right and it can like go back and forth but multi-point has to be supported at the hardware level too and i find that if you are just hard connected hardwired to two devices at once there's way less of a chance of something going wrong. And I see this all the time in the iOS ecosystem where Apple purports to like detect which device you want to use your AirPods with at, at whatever time. And it never works. No, it's always I, in the wrong place. I remember so many meetings starting with you having to go shut off like AirPods Max or, ear, <laughs> or the earbuds connected to the laptop instead of the desktop. And yeah, it's 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 really like... And this is Apple, right? Like this, this is a company that controls the entire experience, right? Hardware and software. I don't think Google's going to get this right, personally. So yeah, I think if you're buying headphones and multipoint is important to you, just buy headphones that natively support it through the Bluetooth protocol yeah. and just like brute well, force it. Well, it also depends on how well they support it. Like I have a $50 pair of headphones from, God, 2018, I think. 
No, earlier than that, like 2016 or something, because I've had these since I was in Waco. And they support multipoint. They support ha being connected to two devices at once. But the experience when you're connected to two devices at once is crap. Like, I have to actively keep it from using multipoint. This is why I'm still using my Jabra Elite 75Ts. Yes. They work with two devices. And they work at well. Once. And they work well. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty good. It's the Pixel Buds Pro support multipoint. I don't remember. No. no. Oh, uh, Wait, yeah. I think they do. The Pixel Buds, sorry. The, the Pro are going to support multipoint. The Pro will, yeah. Yeah, okay. But they're going to use Google's multipoint. See, I'm. So. I don't know what that means, need, if that's hardware or yeah. software or both. I want to replace these at some point, specifically with a pair that works independent. Because, like, the biggest issue I have with Jabra's older stuff is that you can only use the right bud by itself. The left bud is oh, completely... Oh, I hate that. So I want something new, but, like, I found nothing that, like, has everything that I want yet. So. The Sony's were supposed to be multipoint from either... Or we're supposed to be able to do mono listening from either ear, and then it only works on the right earbud yeah. for mine, and I was just like, no, 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 I need it to be the left. The left is my single bud ear. My brain just falls apart if it's on the wrong side. I hear you. Oh, alrighty. But Chrome OS, I'm happy with this update. I'm willing to bet that a lot of people aren't going to notice it. And for PhoneHub, we still need more integration. We still need better integration. The Google Messages integration, I think, is honestly still trash because instead of it going following your phone from computer to computer, you can still only have Google Messages for web setup on one laptop. And it's set up separately, so it doesn't just appear when you do PhoneHub, which is annoying as crap. Because replying to text messages is something that is very much easy to do on your computer. But I bounce between computers throughout the course of the day because I have a desktop at my standing desk now and I use laptops when I'm on the couch. Or reviewing laptops, because I do that. But I accept that I'm a French case there. Moving on to something that I can wholeheartedly complain about. Last week... Google took away reminders inside of Google Assistant, and it seems like we're maybe possibly Google is going to try and streamline reminders on Android between Google Keep, Google Tasks, Google Assistant, and other apps like Calendar. I don't believe that's actually going to happen, but at the same time, I might be weird. I'm one of the few people that actually like loves reminders on Google Assistant and loves reminders through Google Keep. Like Google Keep, I have uh, Google Keep reminders that go off like I have one that goes off every two days. I have a couple that go off like either weekly or biweekly or monthly. And then I just have tons of assistant reminders that are still going off because I that's what I use. So it's like, oh, hey, it's one o'clock. Go eat something. Oh, hey, it's 740. Take your medicine so that way you actually go to bed on time. And everything is just kind of disjointed and everything has its own thing. And some of them, like, keep notifications will trigger in assistance sometimes and sometimes they won't. And some will trigger in Google Calendar and some won't. The Google Assistant reminders are just kind of all over the place and not in the good way. So we're starting to see hints that maybe, just maybe, Google is going to unify its approach to reminders. This is going to start with the Google Calendar app, which is honestly the app that I have the worst reminders experience with at all, because I'm very bad about setting reminders for events other than whatever the default is. And the default is usually like 10 minutes before, and I need more time than that. If you accidentally leave your apartment and it's like, oh, hey, you have a meeting in 10 minutes. Oh, crap. I want reminders to be consistent, but at the same time, I don't want to lose functionality. And Google has a very bad habit of ditching functionality in the name of streamlining things like this. Well, they always claim that they'll bring it 
back. Like no, they won't. That's no, they won't. I am a Google Inbox user. I am still waiting for them to bring that shit back. Give it to me. Email has sucked since y'all took Inbox away. Adding it all to Gmail. That was a lie. A lie. I'm one of those people that when you talk about differentiating between, from a syntax perspective, if you differentiate a task and a reminder, in my head, they overlap. There is a lot of overlap there. I don't really understand the distinction, right? It, uh, a reminder is a form of a task. It's a simplified version of a task. And I think this is one of those situations where Google had separate teams likely working on the two projects, right? And integrating reminders into Assistant. And they've changed up Google tasks. For example, the unification of the Google shopping list, which is essentially like a task manager for shopping, has migrated from Assistant to a standalone product and back again a few times. It's like they can't really make up their mind what they want to do. Do they want reminders just to be these very simple, understated things that are there sort of as like a single notification at a certain time or a certain place? Whereas tasks, if you think about it, a modern task manager, it is so much more detailed and complicated. And Google has the choice of like, do they try to compete with the notions of the world or the to-doists of the world or the any-dos? Like all of these standalone task manager apps that are cross-platform and available on the web and just like considerably better and they adhere to like the GTD foundation and all that. Or is Google Tasks really just at its core a very basic task manager? And in that case, there's no reason reminders should exist because they perform the same thing. Honestly, I'm not really sure why Google Tasks still exists in a world with Google Keep, because Google Keep has robust, repeatable reminders, because I use those like crazy, and has more formatting options and subtask options than Google Task does. I'm still a little confused as to why Tasks exists when they have put so much effort into Google Keep, and Google Keep remains one of the better Google products that probably nobody knows about and uses because they don't market it. But that's the thing, is that Keep is a catch-all for so many things. Marketing Keep as a task manager is not in Google's best it's interest. It's also notes and all sorts of stuff, right? Like I use it as a notes app, you know? Oh, I do too. I use it as a notes app too. I use it as a notes app, but it's a notes app that has very good to-do integration through the sure. reminders. And this is like another example of Google understanding. I mean, whether you believe in it or not, the announcement from earlier this month that Google Meet and Google Duo are converging into Google Meet whatever, 2.0. This is just another example of that, where there are two product teams that are working on separate but similar products, and they have to find ways of overlap and consolidation. And I, I don't think it's wrong for tasks and reminders to become a single thing. I think what ends up happening, though, is if you think of Assistant as its own operating system, this is where things become tricky, because there's the web, and there's apps, and Google's apps and their web services overlap a lot. But then there's the assistant, which kind of lives in this ethereal place of only on smart displays slash the Google Assistant ecosystem, which is voice first. And that's tough, right? You can't change Google Assistant reminders without impacting a lot of people. So yeah, this is I, I think it is tricky because Google has to take the voice-first ecosystem that it's built, which is not huge, but it's significant, 
into account when it makes decisions like this. Well, there's also actionable reminders and reminders that just they happen, you acknowledge it, and they go away. Like, if you're working on a big project, you're going to get reminders for individual tasks that you want to complete. But, like, I use Google Assistant reminders for eat lunch, eat dinner, take meds. And those are things that I don't need to check them off every day. I just need them to appear on all of my phones and then go away. Right. I wonder if we're thinking about this in a different way than Google is. Because if you go... So the only way to get to Google Tasks on desktop is to go to, like, Gmail or, like, I think other workspace apps. But you have to you go, to go to Gmail. You can go to Gmail, Calendar. Uh, I th- right. But it's, it's on the sidebar yeah. is my point. Like, it, it's, it's you have to click open the sidebar and then it's off to the right. And right above the Tasks icon is the Keep icon. They live next to each other in that suite, right? If you open keep through there, it says keep notes, right? Take a note. I think in Google's head, they're like, yeah, keep has reminders, but keep is not for reminders, which is a weird way to think about it and not how we're thinking about it. But I would bet that's how they see it is like, sure, you can attach a reminder to this, but we really just want you to use it as a notes app. Well, but Keep also has a standalone website. And the fact that Google Tasks does not have that anymore is proof of how little Google thinks of it. A hundred percent. Because it had a web interface and they redesigned the web interface and then they just totally ditched it and shoved it into the app and into the sidebar in Google's productivity suite. Oh, it also appears in Google Docs Drive, all of those. Yeah, I think it's any workspace app. Yeah. But then like, okay, you say, sure, Google Assistant Reminders has a web interface. Go to that web interface. <laughs> it's crap, but it has. It's, it's barely there. exists. Yeah, it's, it's I a- think that you can dismiss this as just an intern's afternoon project more than anything else. Like this is not a UI. Like this is not, in, this is not useful in any way. You can't even create new reminders. It's just showing you the reminders that you've already created. So it's not something that I would show off as being like, this is a product. Google Reminders is an assistant feature, and Google Tasks is a workspace feature, as Will said. And the problem is that they haven't made that very clear yet. They don't have good messaging around this. What? A Google service without good messaging? <laughs> it's just what like, devilry it's just do you speak ex- of, man? <laughs> like, if you go search Google Tasks, the first response, the first search result is the Google Tasks app for Android. Yeah, There's no way to get to it from Google search. You go to tasks.google.com, it's a 404. Yep. Like, what are you doing? It you just feels like- You had a working website and you just killed it. That just... And you didn't even redirect it. You didn't even have the respect <laughs> to redirect it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's, it's ridiculous. Alrighty, those are the two for me. So now we're going to switch our bitching from productivity apps over to the car. So, Will? Yeah, this is a big one. It's it's kind of all I want to talk about this week, not just on this particular podcast, but with anyone who will listen to me. I'll shout can, it. Can confirm. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so basically, Google finally killed off Android Auto for phone screens this week. For most people, it's actually been dead for a year because yep. they, they killed it off with, with Android 12. So this is specifically for devices running Android 11 or earlier which means I did have to dig out my Pixel 2 to get a screenshot this week. Oh. Um, it still had a charge. I was really surprised. I haven't used this thing in, wow. in I don't know, months. Wait, but you yeah. had used your Pixel 2 in the last year? Not as a daily driver. Just no, like, no, no. I mean, just like I turned it on at all. Yeah, Why? I don't know, to get something. 
Oh. Probably an Android 11 comparison shot for Android 12. Probably. Um, so, yeah, we, we knew this was coming. This was bound to happen. I mean, the only other option was that Google would just kind of let it linger for Android 11 and earlier phones. But I'm kind of would... shocked they didn't. I mean, yeah, what's the I, harm I... of letting the old app just stay? It works. There are people who use it. Yeah. It... And there are people right now yeah. on the article that you wrote, Will. In the comments, there are people talking about how you can restore that functionality by going to APK Mirror yep. and you know installing an older version and blah, blah, blah. People are going to keep using it, whether Google likes it or not. Well, that's kind of my thing. So what Google wants you to do, short of going to a car dealership and getting on a wait list to buy a new car, is to... Um, I mean, you don't need to buy a new car. You just have to buy a new head unit. Problem okay. being that if your car is less than a decade old, sure. usually it's easier to buy a new car than it is to buy a replacement head unit. Yeah. Because so much runs through it. So, so short of that, you have to use assistant driving mode, which I have gone from thinking when it launched last fall was an interesting idea that needed some work to borderline unusable. Uh, I think it's difficult to launch. I think it's difficult to use it's missing features that I, I wouldn't even call features. I don't think the ability to use it in landscape mode should be called a feature. And it, it it's not available work. everywhere. It doesn't work in landscape. No. Holy crap. Um, but yeah, also, there is one other option if you don't want to use that, and that is just to use Google Maps driving mode. That's basically what assistant driving mode is. It pops up with like the little black bar at the bottom. If you're using assistant driving mode, you're pretty much just seeing maps with a media player at the bottom. And then maybe you can get to like a quick app switcher, but it's far more limited than what Android Auto on phone screens did in 2016 when it launched. Oh God, was I, they it have that not long really ago? Up, yeah, I, I've been doing a bunch I of research. I feel old now. Oh no. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, assistant driving mode was announced in 2019 uh, at IO. So through just a little over three years ago, they were like, we're redesigning Android Auto. It's only for car screens. And also we're killing off Android Auto for phone screens. Eventually we're going to launch assistant driving mode. It had a completely different look from what it does now. It mostly built around like suggestions, like it would use contextual information about the time of day and where you were. It would basically try to predict the actions that you were going to take on your phone in a feed, right? Instead, what launched is like a really basic UI that just has like a couple suggestions that never change. You probably want to go home if you're not home, right? Which could be true, but it's not very useful. And then just like a very small app grid. And it's, it's like far more limited for notifications. It's far more limited for navigation services. It only oh. works with Google Maps. It doesn't even work with, um, I always Waze. screw this up, Waze. I always want to say Wise. No, um, very, very different app. <laughs> yeah, no, because Wise doesn't work, period. Well, yeah. that's, that's the <laughs> distinction here. Um, but yeah, so essentially, that app shipped two years late. It was completely redesigned, and it hasn't really seen any new features beyond, and I, I swear to God, they made it, <laughs> they added a shortcut. Because originally you had to use, to launch it, you had to activate Assistant and say, let's drive. And now you can pin a shortcut to your home screen. That was probably the biggest feature of the last six months. So that's where assistant driving mode is. Android Auto is now officially dead on phone screens. And literally no one is better off for it. Yeah. What do you think happened here? Because as you said, Android Auto for phone screens was, as you said, a stopgap. Yeah. Right? But it was a better product. And I'm wondering 
if it was just hubris on the part of Google that was like, we told people it was a stopgap, it wouldn't be a permanent thing. So we're going to go through with killing it off, even though the replacement for it is inferior in every meaningful way. Not just inferior, but like, I mean, I mean, it really seems like whatever they announced at IO 2019, they couldn't make it work. Go look at those screenshots. I mean, it looks completely different from what ended up shipping last fall. And I really don't know what happened beyond Android Auto on phone screens was beginning to look pretty dated by 2019. And I don't know if the assistant team was like, hey, we've been working on a car mode. What if we just, instead of redesigning Android Auto on phones as we're redesigning it for cars, what if we just went with our route? I have no idea what happened there. That is pure speculation. But we're left with an app that is like, I mean, you can use it. I, I don't want to say it's not usable. Like you can certainly use it to to navigate to wherever you're headed, but it is far less feature packed. The other thing that I'm wondering is, are we overstating or overestimating the number of people who were using Android Auto for phones? Like, are there just far more people using it baked into their car mm-hmm. well, or I mean... into their head unit? And this is just impacting a very small number of people. I don't want to discount the number of people who might be using it because I know that my, well, actually maybe my family might not have been using it and they might not have realized that Android Auto has died because my twin's car is a decade old and doesn't have Android Auto. My father bought a truck a couple of years ago and it didn't have Android Auto on it and that remains one of the sore spots for that vehicle. But, I mean, you need to be able to safely navigate in a car and if Google Assistant driving mode is gonna just suck, then people are just going to use the version in Google Maps because that's arguably easier to get to and has either the same features. Actually, wait, yeah. Is the version in Google Maps the same as the one in Assistant? Or is the one in Maps possibly a little bit better because instead of having that extra black bar at the bottom, you have a little bit more screen real estate? I mean, at this point, I vouch for, um, and I've done this in the past, like, Instead of using assistant driving mode, it's sometimes better to just open up maps and use either the media player that is included in it or like literally just split screen mode and just keeping your media player at the bottom. Right. Like this is the other thing that I I keep coming back to. Any change that Google makes to Android Auto impacts driver safety, period. Mm -hmm. It will have an impact on the safety of not just you in your car, but other people around you. And if you are making the experience more difficult or more reliable, you're making the touch targets smaller, or you're taking features away that people will activate by either using regular Android Mm -hmm. and just using split screen or, or whatever, more accidents will happen, right? I can attest to the fact that when you use Android Auto in a car that doesn't have a touch screen, my Acura MDX 2018 supports Android Auto, but you use this like oh, you have a wacky click, 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 click wheel ring thing. Rather yeah. than a touch click screen. wheel. It's a bad experience and it takes a lot more time to get to where you need to go. And I always think like, even though maybe reaching over and tapping a screen isn't the best option either, the amount of time that I press like pushing down on the click wheel to get it to go from the active screen to the launcher or to like go between the the open windows like that is just a poorly thought out experience and that's native android auto in my car i cannot imagine how many people are just like screaming at their phones right now having to use 
Android Auto for Assistant. I mean, like, it's if just... it's a bad product, then people just straight up aren't going to use it. Yeah. Which is probably why whenever we write about anything changing with Android Auto, there's a lot of uproar. Whereas what little has changed with Assistant Driving Mode doesn't really make any ripples because it's been bad enough that people aren't just not using it. Yeah. Yeah, so... A couple things. To your point, Daniel, I, I will say last year's post that Android Auto was dead ahead of Android 12 launching is the most popular thing I've ever written on the site in my year and a half writing here. And it's not close. Far and away, that thing had traction for forever. The second thing is, is I have assistant driving mode open in front of me right now. And a, a thing that I forgot completely, it's not just missing mapping apps. I know for a fact that like I can access new messages from Facebook Messenger, for example, on Android Auto, and I cannot do it on assistant driving mode. And I think I could do it on, it's been a minute, but I could do it on Android Auto for phone screens. It's messaging apps are now gone. So if I'm, my friend group uses Messenger because there's a mix of Android and, and iOS users in that group, and we're in North America, so no one uses WhatsApp. If I'm headed to one of their houses and they send me a message, I'm not going to be able to see it if I'm using assistant driving mode or I'm going to have to like use just Android, which goes back to your point about it being unsafe. Like I'm now trying to look at this message in a way that is far less safe than if it just like showed a big block like Android Auto used to do on phone screens that had the like three words that said like, yeah, we're all in the back, right? Like it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So. Those are my points on, on this. Google has to fix yeah. this. It's not a viable replacement. I think Android Auto as a platform is messy right now. You have been doing the research into comparing Android Auto, Android Automotive, and Google Automotive Services, which is just a whole different conversation. But given how good native Android Auto is in the car... And getting better, that split-screen update, uh, the dashboard update is coming like any minute now actually it should have been out already because it's, it's officially summer but it's coming any second now they say right i mean it's it's funny though too you think about how google works with car manufacturers on implementation and how much better an experience somebody who has a more modern car is getting than somebody who just wants to use it on a phone and yet the number of potential customers just using android auto on a phone is is like exponentially higher for the Reasons are, you said, that most people still, or many people, millions of people still have older cars that will never get upgraded to support Android Auto natively. And I mean, it's, it's something that people still actively seek out. Like, when the Motorola MA1 came out, my dad immediately messaged me and was like, is this something that can give my car, is this, can, can this give my truck Android Auto? And I had to be like, no, it just turns wired Android Auto into wireless Android Auto. Yeah, right. absolutely. It's like Android's best feature. It is. <laughs> it's so good. When it works, it's so good. Like, I, I won't drive without Google, uh, without Android Auto, because I know that if anything goes wrong with the maps, if anything goes wrong with the radio, I need to be able to just know where everything is, know what I have to shut off, and then keep driving, because I cannot afford to be distracted. I drive on the deadliest freeway in America. I cannot have distractions. Which one is that? I4. Mm. I4 has uh, more than one death per mile per year, I believe the statistic was. And the worst city for it is Orlando, which is where I live. Wow. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's end that dour segment there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, no, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Stay safe out there. 
Yes. We'll finish this off pretty quickly with with my segment. Um, we're going to talk gadgets. Uh, there are a couple of new details that have popped up over the last few days about the Pixel 7 Pro. And we're just getting a slightly better idea of what the phone will have, what, what it'll reuse from the Pixel 6 Pro and what it won't. We were told in a previous leak that the 7 Pro would use the same Samsung OLED panel as the 6 Pro. It apparently will not, according to some leaked information from a Google News Telegram channel that uh, got a hold of a now bricked Pixel 7 Pro, but they were able to glean some information from the bootloader. It will use a very, very minorly updated panel. So basically nobody will be able to tell the difference, but it's still an update. Uh, year over year. It's sort of how Google did the camera sensor between the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 5. It wasn't the same sensor, but the differences were so minor that it might as well have been. Looks like that'll be the case here. And we're getting a little bit more information about Tensor 2, which is the SoC successor to the Tensor chip that debuted in the Pixel last year. We know that the Pixel 6a will use the first generation Tensor. It's going to launch on July 21st, so just under a month from now, pre-orders launch. The Tensor 2 looks to have, at least on the low performance cores, it'll reuse the Cortex-A55 cores. That's not a big deal because those are good quality, efficient cores. They are used a lot, but even though they've been succeeded with the A510s, it's not going to make a meaningful difference. What will make a huge difference, though, is if Google upgrades the A76 cores, the the mid-range performance cores to the A78 or the A710. Because the the A76s in the original Tensor, it was already old when it launched last year, and it's going to be especially old if it launches in the Tensor 2. And then we're hoping that if it does have the A78s or A710s, it will also have two Cortex-X2 cores, which would be an upgrade over the Cortex-X1s. Even though the Cortex-X1s were not brand new when they launched in the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro, the interesting thing was that they're the first devices to use two Cortex-X1s that we found. So that is a a pretty significant change. Now, we have no inside information on this, but I I do think it's, it's just worth pointing out that like Google is already a year behind Qualcomm on the Tensor in terms of like overall specs. They're behind on the GPU. They're behind on the CPU. Well, and they're going to kind of be there, right? Like if, if they stick to an October launch for their flagships every year, Qualcomm is announcing their stuff in December. They're kind of always going to be a little bit behind if, if this yeah. calendar sticks. I think that's fine, right? Like so, nobody's yeah. looking at the tensors for overall performance. Um, they, they do the job, right? And this is a very scalable architecture. And as we've said in the last couple of years, like the best of the best chips are not being utilized for everything they have, right? The mid-range chips today that Qualcomm makes and MediaTek makes, like they're great and they get the job done. I think there's a prestige to being the top of the top, right? Like MediaTek just launched the Dimensity 9000 Plus to take on the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 Plus, or is it 8 Gen 8 8 8 Plus Gen 1? Yeah. <laughs> it's really dumb. Remember when they were like, we're simplifying it, and then they actually made it <laughs> more annoying? If I could have one wish to a genie, it would be for all of the tech products to have reasonable names. Oh, yeah. Good and you would that. need magic in order to make that happen. <laughs> all right, but you're getting more micro USB for it. That's the monkey's paw. You shut your mouth. 
I said genie, not a monkey's paw wish. Mm. So yeah, I mean, as, and and there's the potential of it being a more efficient four nanometer process, uh, which is also going to make it a bit less power hungry, hopefully, or at least like it'll scale the power efficiency a little bit better. So uh, I could use higher wattage, but won't put out as much heat. So we'll see. Like I'm excited for the Pixel 7 series. I mean, Google showed us the device at I.O. It looks great. I think it looks way better. I actually turned my Pixel 6 Pro around and looked at the camera array for the first time in a while. And I noticed there are so many big scratches all over that glass pane. It's very, very hard to see. Like it's just. But what case have you had on it? I haven't had a case on it. I've been using the dbrand skin on the back. So the glass back has so been exposed. So the glass is the thing that has been, yeah, has been touching every tabletop yeah. that you've ever set your phone down on. Yeah, but I mean, That's it's, it's still problem. supposed to be strong glass. Like, I'm surprised that it's as gashed as it is. It can be shatter resistant or scratch resistant. It can't really be both. I know, and we've been there. We've talked about this, but uh, I'm still not happy about it. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we have on the Pixel 7. Nothing too much to go on. The last thing we'll talk about this week is the Nothing One, Nothing Phone One, rather. So the hype trickle continues. Nothing sent the phone to Marquez Brownlee to show us the design and the display, but wasn't, and, and, and a little bit about the LED glyphs on the back and how they'll inter interact with the software. Yeah, that video has 4.2 million views right now. That's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in this phone, yeah. right? And, and, and I think, that's warranted. This is the, the most interesting Android phone release this year. But now we know officially that it will not get a US release. So company issued a statement to PC Mag saying that they just couldn't get carrier certification for the Nothing Phone 1. So it won't officially work on any of the three major carriers. Yep. It'll work on T-Mobile, but you won't get consistent 5G it probably won't work very well on AT&T. Yeah, no, no uh, voiceover LTE. Yeah, and, and it won't work at all on Verizon. So it's just not going to be a great experience. This is very similar to a lot of Chinese phones today. If you import like an Oppo Find X5 Pro or anything from Xiaomi or just anything that wasn't certified for the US carriers, we're kind of back in that world where you can't just bring a phone to the US and expect it to work nicely on LTE. The carriers have started allow listing a lot of these devices again and making sure that they work well on the network. But as a result, there are just a lot of phones that won't work at all, and that sucks. So as a result, the Nothing Phone 1 will get a lot of hype, but the sales will be limited in the US especially. It'll be an EU and Asia release, but I'm sure we will get the opportunity to review it. It won't be a phone that like we can recommend hardly to anybody. I, I just think this is really, this is just really unfortunate because I, like you said, there's a lot of hype around this phone. There was hype around this phone among like, you know, writers at AP. Like I think a lot of people were like interested and in, like, yeah, you know, I might buy one of these just to check it out. And, and a lot of us are based in the U S and it's like, well, okay, like, I guess I'll wait for uh, whatever comes next. Right. Like, hopefully that works but but like i'm going back to that mkbhd video like this is his second or third depending on one of the videos that tied it but like it's it's tied for second for his his most popular video of the year like that's a lot of attention and they're gonna kind of miss out on it because like this phone's not gonna work and then whatever comes next that hype will have died down I think regardless of the sales numbers it's interesting to see the decisions that the company's making right like these are deliberate decisions to try to marry some of the hardware, the unique hardware design elements and the software. So 
for instance, there's a, a bunch of LEDs baked into the translucent transparent back. You'll be able to see your charging progress using one of the LEDs that is right above the USB-C port. Your phone calls and notifications will get custom LED flashes. And I'm not somebody who keeps their phone, like I don't turn my ringer on, so none of this will ever really happen. But if I if, if they allow vibration, custom vibration patterns with the glyphs, I might might use it. I'm of the opinion that they will get more annoying oh, 100%. than helpful or interesting before long. But like it is an interesting gimmick. They're like And well, I know a lot of people loved the flashing red LEDs of the Blackberry era. Yeah. And always wanted something like that back. These are the most 2015 gimmicks I've seen in a long time, if that makes any sense. And I mean that in both yeah, like a good I, and a I, bad I way, in which I've been asking for this. Daniel, you know I've been asking for this of like just do weird shit again. That sounds good. Like I would hate this. I would absolutely I would try it for a week and then get annoyed and turn it off. I know I would. But like, I'm happy to see it, you know, like no one else is doing it. Like Samsung got rid of all their weird stuff. LG, they're gone. So I, I'm happy to see it, even if I can look at it and be like, well, that would be annoying. Like, totally. I think more people are going to import this phone, even knowing it doesn't really work with US carriers, because this is a toy. Let's be real. This is a gimmick phone. This is a toy. People will buy it, play with it for however long they think it's cool and are willing to put up with the carrier wonkiness. And then they're going to stick it in a drawer and hope that the next one actually comes here. Because, I mean, if you have been on this hype train for this long, chances are, unless the cost of importing this thing is going to be astronomically high, which it could be, importing is probably going to be more expensive considering we are in insanely turbulent economic times. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of either you made the decision you were going to buy this phone months ago, or you were never going to buy this phone. I was never going to buy this phone because as much as I love playing with phones, my phone still needs to be something I can actually reliably use as a good phone and a good camera. And I don't see the nothing phone filling either of those categories reliably. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be at its core a mid-range Android phone, 500 euros or so, Snapdragon 778 plus 8 gigs of RAM, dual camera, like... The spec sheet isn't anything to be particularly impressed by, but that's really not what they're going for here. I do think once the hype dies down, it will just be another Android phone, unfortunately. But it'll be interesting to see what the company does with its next product and the one after that. Well, they're going to need this phone to sell, though, and I don't know how well a phone like this sells this year. Well, they, they are well-backed. I mean, they have a lot of venture capital, so I, I do think there's... There's no risk of them going out of business because this one doesn't sell in the hundreds of thousands or millions of units. They have $145 million in funding, so there's no rush to make profit. I, I, I do think eventually they will have to prove themselves, but they've got a runway of a couple of years at least. Anyway, so I'm excited to see it. We're going to hear more about it on July 12th. We'll have that coverage. Oh, hopefully, we'll have a review shortly thereafter. And then um, we're getting close to July, which means. Um, it would likely get review units of the Pixel 6a soon, the Pixel Buds Pro. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to be reviewing the Pixel Buds Pro because that's my jam. And yeah, and then we're into Samsung territory in early August probably with the new folds and flips and whatever else is coming out. I'm excited for the Flip 4. I think that's going to be the first foldable that I spend my own money on and the first phone that I've bought with my own money in probably the better part of six years. So today, if you go to Amazon, and I'm, it might still be there when you hear this. The 
Z Flip 3 is $699. Oh, yeah. Don't tell me that. Which is like regular phone price. It's $300 off the main. It's MSRP. If you've been looking to get a Flip 3, like this is a good time for it. So maybe worth That's thinking about. That's actually really tempting. Um, you could wait for the, fold, the Flip 4, but pretty enticing. I want better colors than the Flip 3, though. Hmm. Well, you can get the Bespoke Edition. The Bespoke Edition was <laughs> trash. I am sorry. You cannot fall call five colors none of which really go with each other real customizable options like the yep. pink only went Welcome with the black and the yellow the blue didn't really go with anything and then you had white and black like there was no calling that a customizable phone was an affront to moto maker i was about to say ara is about to <laughs> summon moto maker I which will, i would appreciate I summon I it from the afterlife pass. Yeah, Motomaker was like, God, and I cannot 100%. believe that Samsung cannot give us something like that. Samsung has all of these beautiful colors. And granted, if I'm going to have to wait a month for this phone to show up, that's fine. But give me all the color options. And I know that you could do all the color options because there are 10 colors available for the Galaxy S22, basically. Yeah, I'm staring at my uh, bright orange Galaxy S22 Ultra with the matching orange s pen and i'm just like yeah they can do nice colors if they want i want to see a really pretty purple i want to see a really pretty blue give me back a really deep like cerulean like give me a pixel one grade blue but like shinier mm, that's that that's a throwback right there okay that'll do it for this week if you have any feedback for us um you can send it to podcast at androidpolice.com we love hearing from you you can find me at journey dan you can find will at Will Saddleberg, right? Uh, underscore, Will underscore Saddleberg. Uh, Will underscore Saddleberg. I'll get that right eventually. <laughs> you can find Ara at Ara Wagco. You can find all of us at androidpolice.com. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.